This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. The Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning, so hit subscribe, share this with your team, and let's join Pastor Brandon Stewart for another vital conversation for all of us who lead from the middle. Welcome to the Leading Second Podcast, a community of uncommon church builders. So privileged to share another episode with you today. My name's Clark, and as one of the team members here at Leading Second, I just have to say it's our joy, it's our honor to run this race with you, building God's church. This is plan A, there is no plan B. And you know, as we wind down season four, I just want to remind you of a great way to be listening to the podcast, and that's simply by listening to it with others, whether it's a friend or I know of several teams that will actually walk through this podcast together and discuss it. We have in the description show notes and questions uh, so you can talk about these topics and get more out of it. Before we get into the interview today, we wanted to do something a little bit different for this first segment. We wanted to highlight a ministry that we love. So let's jump in with Brandon as he talks with Firm. Well, hey, I'm here today with my good friend, Michael Mistretta from Firm. Say what's up to everybody, Michael. Hey, great to be here. Thanks, Brandon. Hey, uh, love you guys. Love you and Vanessa uh, so much. Tell us a little bit about you and your family, first of all, as well as the the ministry that you lead. Yeah, so my wife and I uh, lead this ministry called FIRM, stands for Fellowship of Israel-Related Ministries. Uh, Basically, a network of ministries all across Israel that we help to strengthen, unite, and resource to see a day where every Israeli has an impactful encounter with the love of Jesus. Um, and we, you can probably tell from my accent, I'm not uh, natively from Israel. I'm from Canada. My wife's from Florida, <laughs> but we both immigrated to the country. So uh, I'm now a Canadian Israeli. She's an American Israeli. And we just had uh, our son a few months ago, our first son, Azariah. He's almost six months old. And wow. Just the joy, joy of our life. He was born in Israel, native Israeli citizen. So really proud Amazing. of Amazing. Amazing. Well, we love you guys. We had a chance to uh, go to Israel and and be on a trip uh, with you and with Firm about a year and a half ago and so deeply impacted our lives. But I think what impacted us more is just the work that your that your ministry is doing. And I don't know, I just wanted anyone on our podcast just to know about firm and what y'all are doing. I met you guys randomly walking down a hallway one night after art conference, you know, when like the whole place was packing up, it was the, it was the most chance, you know, meeting ever. Uh, and only because you guys are like super friendly. I probably was walking down the hallway looking like, don't talk to me or something, you know, and, and you guys are friendly, but anyways, um, we've just loved, uh, getting to know you and your ministry more. And so I just want everybody to know a little bit about Firm. Unpack just a little bit more. How does Firm bring together ministries and resource ministries across Israel? Yeah, so I think in, in a lot of ways we see that uh, in Israel, there's only uh, 30,000 Jewish believers in Jesus out of a country of 9.3 million. So think of that. It's crazy. A quarter of 1%. Uh, we were at Church of the Highlands the other day sharing with their legacy team and just said, that's less people than go to your church in our entire nation. That's so crazy. So just to put that in context, and on top of that, we're the most hated demographic. 46% hate the idea of a Jewish believer in Jesus more Mm. than they hate the Arabs, more than they hate the ultra-Orthodox. And it's not because they've met us. It's because they hate the idea of a Jewish person that follows uh, Jesus or Yeshua, as we say in Hebrew. And mm-hmm. so, and so, how do we change that stereotype? How do we, as a body, I mean, if we're all doing our own little things, we're never going to make a, a big uh, impression. So, we we want to create a day where every Israeli has an impactful encounter with the love of Jesus through a local believer. And how do we unite the global church with the local body to see a day where we believe the Bible promises in Romans eleven twenty six that all of Israel will be saved and there's an effective witness in Israel. So we help to, we help organizations build capacity ministries that are reaching 
Holocaust survivors or drug addicts or women coming off the street or local congregations. Um, we help them build capacity, we help them think creatively, and then also cooperate and synergize together so we can make a difference as the body nationwide in Israel. It's so good and 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 so important the work you guys are doing and I love it. I I know too by having the opportunity to be there. It just deeply impacted Lindsay and I. It gave us context for our faith in a way that we didn't have before. I, I guess for anyone listening today, I mean, why why should a believer? How would a believer's life be benefited and their faith be strengthened by understanding more? about Israel and, and even, you know, um, investing in the work that is going on and that some of what you guys are leading in Israel. Absolutely. And I, I grew up in a context where I, I was in love with missions. I was in love with the great commission. And when I felt called to Israel, I, I really said to God, God, I'm not one of those Israel loving Christians. I thought they were flag waving so far. Below. I, <laughs> I thought they were a different kind of, a different flavor of Christian. Um, but, but, but I quickly began to see, man, if we, if we love what's on, God's heart, seeing the way Jesus right. in Matthew 23 wept over Jerusalem, um, seeing how Paul writes at Romans 9, the first five verses, at the climax of Romans, he says, we're more than conquerors. In Romans 8, we've been adopted as sons and daughters. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And then he gets to Romans 9 just a few verses later, and he says, I have this great sorrow. I have this unceasing mm. anguish. And you think, what's going on, Paul? And he says, I wish I was cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, the Jewish people, that they would know um, mm. Jesus as the Messiah. And I remember reading that and thinking, God, I, I love Paul, but I do not have these emotions. There must be something wrong in my heart, not wrong in this book. Would you change my heart? And mm. I think the unique opportunity you have when you come to Israel is that you see your faith in a whole new way. So many, so many, so often for us as believers, we come into a church and we, we, we start the movie two thirds of the way. in. we start at Matthew chapter right. one and we start with the gospels and and that's great. You'll still know the ending of the story, but you'll never understand the intentions of the characters and why the why it was set right. up and the way it was. So we have to go back to the beginning and realize our God is not just the God of the spiritual. He's the God of the physical. He's a shepherd. He's a strong rock. He's a strong tower. He is the Lord, our God, who led us out of Egypt. And so coming to Israel and seeing how God has treated Israel as a firstborn son, as a firstborn nation, uh, I think it helps us to see God's character, how he's yeah. He's uh, relentless in his pursuit of us, even when we disobey, even when we go astray, even when we're stubborn and hard-hearted. Israel for us is that guide to say, man, if God says, I, 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 my love for Israel is irrevocable, that's how we know we as new covenant Christians and believers around the yeah. world also have that unfailing covenant with God. Yeah. And I think context is, is, is probably been the greatest impact that our time there had what was, was understanding, like you said, I'm not coming in to the story anymore at intermission. You know, I, I now have greater context for my faith and I know how to look for it now. And I, even to someone, a, a young leader, a youth pastor, a, a campus pastor listening today, who's responsible for unpacking and bringing the word of God to, to, you know, believers that are following you in your ministry, um, there are ways you can you can educate yourself and and bring that context to your life even without getting on a plane. You know, it's just so important that 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 we gain that understanding because we're responsible for communicating the word of God, the entire the complete word of God, the gospel effectively um, to believers. Part of this is like in in a marriage relationship. You know, Vanessa married me. We fell in love. She had never been to my hometown, and we we had a real love. But when she came and visited my family, she started to understand, oh, this is where you were raised. This is this is like how you had your childhood. And it, and it gave her a deeper understanding of who I was. Right. And the same is true when we, when you get to come to Israel. It's like you get an understanding. Hey, this is Jesus' family. This is, these are the people. This is the place that he walked. And it just gives us depth in that relationship. So we have, we have resources for churches that want to connect in a deeper way. I mean, our heart as a ministry is not just to uh, serve on the ground, but really help churches that want to love Israel in a healthy and gospel centered way. And we have hundreds Great. of church partners, but one of those things you just said, you know, right now with COVID, it's hard to get on a plane uh, and go overseas, but we have a, a new video series we've come out with called Israel U, uh, Israel and the letter U.org. And they're five minute videos to help you grow uh, deeper in your faith and understand your Bible. And they're great for, if you have a young adult group, uh, we're developing uh, courses and small group resources as well. Just little pieces and parables from Israel that help add a little bit of context to your faith and uh, portion. 
That's great. And, and, you know, Michael, you mentioned too Jewish believers being some of the most hated or persecuted uh, believers. And it was, it was really crazy. I don't know if I ever told you this. There was one night on the very, very end of our trip. The last evening we were there, we snuck away uh, to a church, a ministry that we knew in the area, got to speak at the church. As it turned out, the pastor got sick and I actually got to lead someone to Christ, you know, at the end of the service. But it was so crazy to me. I've done done that hundreds, thousands of times, maybe, you know, in, in the U S and Canada in kind of our Western context, but leading her to Christ and realizing what she was signing up for by doing that was probably one of the most impacting moments of my faith, realizing she, she just voluntarily signed up for that. And yet she, she did, she did it anyways, because Christ became real to her. And I think that she, that night became a picture for me of God's heart for his people in Israel, uh, you know, his people, of course, all over the world. And so anyways, I um, just thank you guys for the work that you're doing really fast. I can't let you go without asking my signature question. Uh, you actually lead your ministry now, but for many years you served in the second chair, you know, under Pastor Wayne Hilsden. Uh, why don't you share with us quickly the greatest lesson you learned uh, leading in the second chair? Uh, I think the greatest lesson for me is, uh, has been just a lot of, a lot of communication and a lot of honor. Um, you know, I, I had the privilege of serving under a leader that was very empowering and, and let, let me kind of operate and hire and set culture and all those things. But as, as much as we have a 40 year age gap between myself wow. and pastor Wayne, who has been, you know, he's been a, a pastor in Israel for 40 years. So just, just how to have that strong relationship and learning the unique uh, nuances, like the way that each of us are wired. Uh, we, we never had like one-on-one -on -one meetings on a weekly basis or anything like that, but we, we found rhythms and times that we can get together and, and get on the same page. And I think w uh, when you're leading in that second chair, just being, especially if you have a very empowering leader, that's very hands-off being able to make sure that, you know, at, even if it's you're talking once a month or infrequently, knowing that you're on the same page, that you can go forward and lead with that confidence. And just for us, we, we went through a transition. So that transition, mm. you know, transition, uh, uh, one of my coaches that I look up to is Patrick Lizioni. And he would say that change is easy. Transition is hard. Change is very concrete, but transition can be messy and emotional. Mm. And there's feelings on all sides of the spectrum. So just communicating through that, acknowledging the loss that comes through certain transitions and being able to navigate that neutral zone where we let go of certain identities and embrace new ones. So I think communication is so key in all that Beautiful. respect and being able to, to honor um, from both sides of the spectrum. Beautiful. I love it. Well, thank you so much for a few minutes. We're going to throw information in all the descriptions and emails today on uh, how people can connect with firm, support your ministry, resource themselves. But thank you guys so much for the work you're doing. So important. Lindsay and I are cheering you on every single day and we love firm. I'll leave a second. Thanks, Brandon. And I would just say, you know, if anyone has a, has a question, resource, I'd be happy to give up my email. We, we love helping churches and pastors uh, find a way to navigate the complexity of, of Israel and Jewish ministry. So <laughs> if we could be a resource in any way, we're happy to serve. We'll do it. Sounds good. Thanks, my friend. Today, we're honored to welcome Anna Morgan to the podcast. She's no stranger at Leading Second, so if you enjoy this interview today, go back, listen to other episodes with her. But no more delay, let's jump into this conversation with Anna Morgan and Pastor Brandon Stewart. Well, Leading Second today, I am excited to welcome back to the podcast one of my favorite guests, a personal friend, Anna Morgan uh, from City Church in Chicago. Say what's up to everybody today, hello, Anna. Hello, Hey, welcome back, my friend. I'm so glad you're here. Glad to be here. It's always good to be with my leading second family. Yes, we we love you. Uh, we love your husband, John. Um, I just have to say, I um, I love what you guys do for the local church, and you serve on a local team. Uh, your husband travels and works with teams all over the world, all over North America. Um, has had a profound impact on my life. I rip him off constantly in leading second. And probably give not to not enough uh, credit. So just love you guys so much. And uh, why don't you, uh, I guess for anyone who might be new to um, listening to you today, maybe just introduce yourself briefly, but also give us an update on kind of where you've been the last year or so. Yeah, for sure. So 
I've been in ministry pretty much all of my adult life, started out in creative ministries and worship, and then started making a shift, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, kind of more into the leadership side of things. I've been leading the ministry at City Church Chicago for the last five years uh, as executive pastor. And then I'm also working on my doctorate in doing some applied research into the development of female leaders. So I've been continuing to do all of that work over the last 12 years as we try to figure out how to navigate 2020 and 2021 for the church. And then also been running a pilot program with some female leaders and staff members from different churches around the U.S. and working on some development stuff with them. So, yeah, that's pretty much me. I love it. I love what you're doing. I love your wisdom, um, which is, I think, why I particularly thought to talk to you today about what we're going to talk about, because Anna, I get bothered by stuff. I, I hopefully don't show it everywhere on social media, uh, but I get bothered by some stuff from time to time. And uh, I love your wisdom. And I, I, I think to myself every once in a while, I, I need to know what John and Anna think about this because I'm bothered and they're going to have some good wisdom. And so maybe we can just have one of those conversations today about a bother. If, if that's okay, cool me off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Who we, everybody needs a good rant right now. Um, the, the big question I think I wanted to, um, to chase down today to package it nicely anyways, is, is how should I carry myself as a leader? My pastor has talked to me a lot about this over the years, you know, that leaders carry themselves like leaders conduct their lives as leaders. And yet, if I'm honest with you today, on all fronts, I see this idea under attack and I see some leaders. Um, I've just wondered about their conduct and, and public conduct on social media and things. And I just want to, I just want to wrestle through this with you today, if that's okay. And Ephesians chapter four and verse one, I guess, just to kind of give some context out of the word for us today. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, as a prisoner uh, for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And then he actually goes on to give some instruction to be completely humble and gentle. Again, my social media feed does not always look like that right now. Uh, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And I, I reread this chapter this morning in preparation for this conversation uh, because to me, in my mind, this has always been a leadership chapter. You know, this is where we see the fivefold ministry uh, referred to and appear in scripture. Uh, this is a, a, a chapter I've taught out of in terms of e instructing us as church leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Um, the ultimate goal, though, of this little section of scripture is that our charge as leaders is to lead God's people toward maturity. That, that we would grow up and be mature in, in Christ, a mature body, it says in uh, verse 15, uh, for, uh, of him who is the head that is Christ. So if, if leading people toward maturity matters, leading them forward matters, I just think our conduct as leaders, I think the Apostle Paul started in the right place, in other words, that we're to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received, but in our day where we score points on social media and where we post our opinions and we treat social media like a diary, you know, or, or we have even casual office culture, casual communication culture. I've just wondered if this notion isn't a little bit under attack. So maybe I could just open up the floor to you for a minute. Have you seen this? I guess you've worked with leaders for a couple decades. Like I have now just from your seat as an executive pastor. Do you resonate with my bother? I guess is my first question for you today. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? It's, um, it's interesting because I feel like there's a mix of both people feeling the need to kind of virtue signal and get out there and make their voices heard and their opinions everyone needs to hear my opinions and, uh, and also uh, maybe a little bit of like, I need to create clickbait that people will engage with. Right. Because likes and shares are the thing that validate my leadership. Oh gosh. Yes. So I feel like there's some, some of that that comes in together, but I think you're right on target with this passage. 
in Ephesians. I think Paul talks about that concept too in First Timothy four when he talks about being an example to the believers, right? Life and love and speech, all of those things, because it's not just I think a matter of being authentic or being true to yourself, um, but recognizing that um, as I live, as I live, I am a representation of Christ first and foremost to other people, and that becomes the filter for the authentic me is being transformed in his image. Um, so what does that mean? So we've seen a drift in culture to self as authority, right? That, 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 that that's kind of culture's new goalpost self as authority, live your truth. You know, you do you boo, you know? Um, so self as authority. And if we're not careful, this ends up, creeping into the church, which is a problem for us because Christ, I mean, Ephesians four talks about it. Christ is our head. Christ is our authority. Our, our goal isn't necessarily like you just mentioned to be this authentic version of ourselves. It's to be a transformed version of ourselves into the likeness and the image of Christ. But would you agree with this, that yeah, some church leaders would say on its face that that sure I don't I don't agree with this self as authority stuff, but we say a lot of stuff on social media with authority. <laughs> self authority that that opinion is is being elevated to a place of fact, you know, and and we actually a church leader could say I don't believe that, but actually operate in that way still. And, and, and live out of this self as authority rather than submitting everything we do, our, our conduct, our lives, our speech to Christ first, I guess maybe, maybe speak to that a little bit. Cause I, that, that's a drift happening in culture right now, but I, I still feel like I see essence of it in the church. Yeah. Well, I think it's the, it's the water we're swimming in is the, my experience is my reality as opposed to recognizing that there's a higher plane of reality that exists on a kingdom level. And I think you're absolutely right about that. And I do think it matters that we recognize the source of our authority um, as a believer, as a Christian. And, you know, I think that ultimately that comes from Christ when we're representing Christ, right? Because that's where your authority flows through. But then I think also even more relevant for us who are leading from the second chair on some level, that's also flowing through our pastors. Right. Our authority becomes an extension of that. And uh, so when we stand on a platform, we may have own our own social media handle and we control what gets posted on there. But the authority that we're making statements with or presenting ideas with is not necessarily just about me and my experience. We're representing something greater than ourselves. Okay. I think it's easy for us to get our heads around the idea that like, if my pastor gave me the platform this weekend, you know, I would be totally submitted to him or her. Right. You know, I, I would, I would, I would watch what I say. I would watch what I, you know, I'm, you're not going to get up on your pastor's platform in church and, and, you know, spit heresy and opinion and, you know, you know, hopefully, Um, you know, so we understand that when it comes to like grabbing the mic on a Sunday or something, but to your point, I kind of view my social media account with this as an extension of that. Yeah. I, I still have the mic and it's still Sunday morning, even though I'm posting on Instagram on Tuesday, you know, that, 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 that didn't change just because the medium changed from platform on Sunday to Instagram. Maybe Anna, talk to us about this for a second. I guess I've heard, I've heard some language popping up as I study a variety of young leaders online right now. I won't say who I stalk, but there are some I stalk out there just to kind of see what they're talking about. I hear questions asked like this. Should my church have a say in what I post online? Which that's almost put out there as like this. Is my church overly controlling me? You know, or, or, you know, I'm not able to be authentic if my church has too much of a say in this or, you know, or, um, 
then of course a time honored one is is the person in in on staff that that actually shows honor toward their leader shows honor to their pastor like shows up to the meeting early shows up to the meeting prepared you know, you know whatever that person like they're just trying to live with honor, but that person kind of gets painted as like a butt kisser or something, or, you know, they're just trying to live a life worthy of the calling they've received, but yet it gets honor gets kind of put down. It seems like these days as that person's some sort of a sellout or, you know, something like that. Um, I think this, this could creep into any area of our life. You know, should my pastor have a say in how I manage my money? Should my pastor have a say in my relationship in my marriage in, in my, you know, how I live, um, so there's like this pushback. I, I feel like I'm seeing in culture where, where that's become a problem for some young leaders, but I guess I don't see it as a problem. I, I, I see it as being submitted under godly leadership, you know? So if my, maybe talk to us about your thoughts on that. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like the idea of should your church control your social media or control things about you is kind of missing the, the point a little bit. Totally. I, it's, um, number one, I think, should anyone control you? No, probably not. That's, that's not the way this works, but, <laughs> right. um, but we invite, but we invite, but we invite know us the best or the people who can see us the best. We have an opportunity to invite them in to help make us better, better as Christians, better as husbands and wives, better as leaders, better as humans, you know, better as parents, all those things. And I, I feel like because people are scared of being controlled, they miss out on the opportunity to have somebody invest in them and help them grow and become the person that they want to be. And submission is not about control, but it's about recognizing the source of authority. So the authority I have within my church is because of the, the authority my pastors have given there me. There you go. Yes. And that authority ultimately. There you go. Yes. And so I can lovingly defer to them because I recognize when I get out ahead of them or get out beyond the scope of what my authority has been given, then, um, then I no longer have authority because my authority is an extension of theirs. And, um, so I think when it comes to questions like, should your church have a say in what you post on social media, I think is recognizing, um, what I post directly impacts my church, directly impacts my pastors, directly impacts the unity of my team. Yes. And so I don't get out ahead of what my pastor is posting. And it's not, we've never had a conversation about it. My pastors have never said, Hey, can you not post about something like that? That's right. a, a conversation I've never had. Um, right. But I recognize that if if I posted on some issue that he hasn't posted about or something different from what he has posted about, it's going to create um, a, a point of conflict that's going to both erode trust with my pastor and also potentially create conflict and division in my church, which is the exact opposite of what I've been tasked to do that was my responsibility as uh, someone who's carrying part of the ministry. And it's not that you, I can't have an opinion and I can't disagree, but it's just like, those are conversations we have in the back room. You know, if I, if I think differently, I want to understand, you know, we have, we have those conversations face to face as opposed to spread out in front of the whole yep. world for everyone to peanut gallery and yep. out the popcorn and watch it all go down. You know, <laughs> um, you know, I, you, you, um, you know, I, you, you just led me exactly where I wanted to get today. Like, like heart of the issue. And that is the moment where a leader feels like they want to say something, whether it be in one-on-one conversation or social media, it just feels like it's mostly happening on social these days. Um, where they want to say something, but it's going to create daylight between them and their pastors. Or it's going to move what should be a backroom conversation to the front room. It's going to show disagreement or ultimately it's going to um, create division. And man, some leaders out there should go do a study right now on what the New Testament writers say about those who create division in the church. 
I mean, before you post your next Instagram story, you ought to do a New Testament study on division in the church because it's pretty interesting how the New Testament writers saved their strongest language, not for sin, not for conduct. It's for division that, that, that their, their heart, you know, they lived it. They lived under, under so much pressure and they lived under so much, you know, adversity already. And it's like, we got, we got enemies on the outside. We can't be dealing with fights on the inside, you know, you know, right now. So anyways, maybe, maybe speak to that for a second, that, that what, what should a leader do and they want to, when they, man, they have something they want to post or say or whatever, but it's going to create daylight. It's going to, it's going to mess with the alignment in the house. It could ultimately create division. I mean, what do we do in those moments? It's like, we don't do battle the same way the world does. So the yes. way, what our culture is telling us, this is how yes. the issue has to get dealt with is different when we're talking about a church scenario. Yes. We're all in, we're all on the same team here. We're yes. all in the same family, as a matter of fact, not just the same team, um, but we all are deeply connected in, in our DNA. And so when something gets addressed, we're not out throwing the first punch because that's not what families do. That's not how, that's not, that's not how God calls us to treat each other, that we come with that fundamental yep. know, love is our first step, you know, that that's always yep. when we, when we think people first. And so I think when it comes to a disagreement with our pastor, for me, I have always carried the perspective that every Sunday, my pastor lays out a table of uh, the word of God for people. Yes. And he creates an environment where people can yes. encounter Jesus, where the lives are changed and transformed by the power of the word of God as people are able to receive it. And he creates opportunities for people to make decisions to follow Christ. Every week this happens. And so if I'm out there creating a difference of opinion that erodes someone's trust in him or creates a, a seed of offense in them, it blocks them from being able to receive what Jesus has for them on Sunday. Yes. And so I have to be very careful to steward yes. in people's lives, their so ability good. to have that relationship with their pastor. And so what good. I say about him or how I interact with his perspectives and his opinions directly impacts that. And so I have to, I have to recognize that I have to steward that for my church family. So good. So good. So good. So good. Put social media on pause for a second because I could literally, I'm so bothered by it. I could talk to you about it all day. Um, and this would just be an entire social media rant. Um, but let, let's go beyond that for a minute. Let's just talk about the conduct of a leader's life in general. I mean, to, to me, living a life worthy of the calling I've received is not just about, you know, not talking about vaccines on, on Instagram or something like that or, you know, <laughs> whatever. It's, it's how I carry myself when I walk into a room. It's, um, how I manage my money. It's how I dress. I, I mean, something my pastor said years ago, I've just always picked this up is like, how clean is my car? You know, I, I've, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm a fairly clean person. I got some messy, I got a messy pile on my desk right now, but like I got a car wash membership and I wash my car. I take pride in it. You know, because it's, it's a, it, I, I don't want any little thing to stop people from receiving me and ultimately God's word through me simply because of how I'm conducting myself. So I guess, you know, moving off of Facebook or Instagram or something to me, there, there, there there's a whole way that, that leaders are supposed to conduct themselves. So my question, I guess, for you, you're an executive pastor, you lead a team, you lead a staff. What are you looking for from your own team in terms of how they conduct their lives and conduct themselves? You know, I, I know for you and I, the day, the day is over where it's like we dress up to go to the office or something. Although I did literally do that back in the day, you know, surprise after this year where all we've done is wear sweats. Uh, but like, that, I'm not necessarily talking about that, of course, but like, how, what are you looking for in terms of conduct from your team? Yeah, I, I think uh, fundamentally, obviously, I think it all flows from a, a place of health, right? Our spiritual health mm. when, and when we're spiritually healthy and are paying attention to the condition of our hearts, everything flows out of that. All the behavioral stuff 
flows from that place. And I think the same goes for emotional health and physical health. Um, but I, I feel like when stuff's out of order inwardly, it tends to become out of order externally. And when someone's got something out of whack, like they're just clearly struggling with being sloppy or they got relational dysfunction that's happening or they're starting to pick up some bad habits and we, you know, we know about it. Then those things I think are great starters for conversations about how people are managing their inward conflict and what's going on, what's producing this in somebody. Um, because ultimately, you know, God doesn't call us to just fill a job description and have a function as a church staff member or as a church volunteer. God calls us to be somebody. He doesn't call us to yes. be something. And so that's what he's more interested in is who are we becoming as opposed to what are we doing? And say that again. So out good. Of that. Yes. Out of that place. Um, and so I, I think a lot of times, especially when you're younger, we get so focused on, well, as long as I can execute my job really well, if I get the best creative stuff and the rest, the best design work flowing and I'm producing on all cylinders, that's what matters. But for God, what matters actually is the inward stuff. And most of the time, everything is prep for our twenties or thirties. Most of the time it's all prep and what we're, uh, what is being built in us is far more significant than what we're, what we're doing. When we get stuck and feel stuck, it's probably a signal that God's wanting to work on something inside us. That's got to, that's going to come out in some sort of an external change. But to me, all of the externals are signals that there's something going on that we need to stop and talk through and process through and mm. through and submit to Christ. Cause ultimately we should look different. Yes. Say it louder. God is more interested in who you are becoming than what you are doing. Someone needs to hear that today. God knows because I have needed to hear that time and time again. And you can go, go for another minute on this one. If you want, uh, I couldn't agree with you more on seasons of prep, man. I am so disheartened right now by 23 year old leaders that are experiencing anxiety and depression because they feel like they're not far enough yet because something somewhere told them they were supposed to have 10,000 Instagram followers and be able to, you know, afford Yeezys preaching on the platform or something, you know, by, by then. And like, they've missed it somehow. And yet to me, I don't even know that I started feeling in, in my lane until I was 30. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even know that I, that I even really discovered some of the best direction for my ministry until like a decade in, you know? And it's like, by then I was only standing on the shoulders of not standing on the shoulders. I was standing on, on the foundation of the life that I built in my twenties, which could have been better, you know? And so, man, you could go for another minute on that if you want, but I, I feel like we, we misunderstand that season of prep and, 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 and health matters, I guess, for, for a young leader more than productivity or performance. Absolutely. If there's a man who did extensive research into Christian leaders named um, Dr. Clinton, Dr. Robert Clinton, and this, he studied like 5,000 leaders' lives. And what he found is in your 20s, that most of the time what God's developing is just your raw skills. And what mm. you're doing is kind of irrelevant. He's developing you and developing your skills. And in your 30s, you start to figure out, okay, this is what I'm wired for. And you start to learn who you are and start to learn how to lead out of that, out of who you are. But people who get stuck there on the doing side, tend to have moral blowouts. That is tends to be what's happened. Mm. Whenever you see that from somebody in their thirties and they have some big fall is they didn't pay enough time, attention to that inner stuff and developing their spiritual authority as the basis for their leadership, mm. as opposed to Instagram or what they, how good they can preach or how good they can sing, all those things. It's just so good. And it's just so true. Do you have any, um, resources, books, podcast leaders, you know, anything that you would recommend 
a younger leader read or consume that just focuses on developing themselves as a leader rather than just what they're doing? Yeah, there's a couple of great authors. Uh, Anything by Ruth Haley Barton is great for Mm. understanding the inner stuff and how to develop your spirituality. Pete Scazzaro has got some great stuff. Yep. On uh, the inner life, all of all of that. <clears throat> I really like. Uh, I just recently read um, Mike Bonham and Roger Patterson's book, "Leading from the Second Chair." That's a great book for anyone who's in that leading second yep. zone. Um, yep. All of those are are great. That's probably one thing I would add to that whole social media conversation because I I think sometimes. I know we've run into this in my, with, with my team is like, Oh, people are saying all these things we need to respond. And they feel the, the weight of that. Like, Oh, people are asking this people are. And, um, I think there's a delicate balance when you're in that number two seat between we do need to pulse take. We do need to keep our finger on what's going on, what people are thinking, what people are feeling and be able to communicate that. Um, but also recognize we have the opportunity to influence every time we're taking people's pulse in that and joining the, not just receiving that communication, but engaging it and encouraging people to come into alignment together, reminding them of what connects us, of the, the vision of what we're doing, the shared identity, who we are as a church. And I think um, as leaders, we've got to make sure that we're not echoing what we're hearing around us and reacting to that, but that we are um, actually setting a pulse that we're, we're setting a pace in, um, in aligning people around kingdom thinking, kingdom culture. That, that is such a good point because it was so funny. I, I took a planned social media break right at the beginning of the year. I should have started it on January 1st. Um, I just didn't for whatever reason. Um, so I kind of, I think I put a post out like I I want, I'd have to look back. I think it was on like January 7th and kind of saying I'm taking a break from social media, which by the way, was the single greatest thing I feel like I did this year so far, but you know what happened January 6th was the capital thing, you know? (laughs) So me, me, Putting out this, I'm taking a break post on January 7th was to some people extremely tone deaf. And I got on comments as well as personal texts, you know, I got a lot of like, you need to make a statement, you know, kind of, kind of stuff. And it really bothered me. I really thought there are, there are people, forces, beliefs out there that are trying to dictate to me what I say that are trying to um, use my voice that would rush me through the nor the filters I've put on my life. And I've put on my posts. I, I, I have a very strong opinion about stuff. Lord Jesus, you know, like I got fire in my bones on some of this stuff, but that doesn't mean as a second chair leader and someone who's trying to help pastors and churches of all persuasions, mind you, you know, diverse group of pastors and leaders and God's beautiful church, you know, it's like th- th- there was this call to like, you need to make a statement on what happened on the Capitol. And I'm like, no, I don't. No, I don't need to make a statement on everything. It doesn't doesn't mean I don't feel strongly about something. It doesn't mean I lack integrity. You know, somehow it's just I, I, I it was hard, though. It was hard to take a stand and not make a statement, you know, that day just because someone else asked me to, maybe that's a little bit of what you're talking about. There's this like pressure to be in that zone. Yes. Yes. 100%. And I think pressure from everyone's various opinions about it all. But I, I mean, to me at some point it becomes white noise when everything is happening at once. And I, I feel like we've lost sight sometimes of the value of being a listener and Mm. um, just pausing to hear before we speak and giving people space to pause, to hear before they speak too, and um, process and pray and think about it and align giving each other grace for that. I think really matters. Um, And not, not every, not every cause is going to be our cause, you know? Well, 
and I think I think we need to recognize this part about culture right now because culture has er- is is trying to erode wisdom, um, being slow to speak. Our, our our culture is saying things like silence is violence, but but you think about the danger in that statement that that if we don't immediately and forcefully say something about X, Y, and Z that somehow we're part of the problem. So, so that there's just this, there's this erosion of, of patience. There's this erosion of wisdom. Uh, it doesn't mean you and I still don't feel very strongly about the injustices of our, of our world, but, but it's like that push to you, you have to be in a reactionary zone or you don't care somehow. Right. Right. Uh, you know, and I, I maybe I, I could, I love that you're a student of, of, um, people of culture of leaders. I could talk to you about this all day long. Um, but we should probably wrap this up at some point here. Um, I think I'd love to just hear from you on a personal note for a minute though. What's your greatest prayer for young leaders in the church right now? We got so much stuff facing us. I mean, I could, I could talk to you and maybe we should have you back. Uh, I could talk to you about deconstruction. I could talk to you about, uh, a, a lot of the things that I feel like I see younger leaders walking, walking down right now. I would love to hear your take on it, but maybe just give you a chance to kind of minister to a leader's heart. Who's made it this far in an episode. Um, what's your greatest prayer for young leaders navigating the current landscape we're leading in right now? Yeah, I think probably my greatest prayer in this season has been, um, that God would move. And I really believe this, that when we see things that seem pretty desperate and um, there's all kinds of issues and challenges and problems, stuff that needs to be fixed, stuff that we have no control over. And I really believe that when, when we're set up with these scenarios that God has created that so that he can show up and get mm. our attention with mm. what he's going to do and his miraculous power. And so my prayer for leaders is that we're tuned into what God's doing, that we're tuned into the move of the Holy spirit, that we keep our hearts hungry for his person and his presence. And, uh, that we keep our focus on the primary thing. It's so easy now to get caught up in conflicts and, um, <laughs> The smallest things become huge things when people are operating in emotional deficits, um, mm. but that people will recognize that um, the call in their life is significant and it's worth it and that um, God's going to carry them through. And I, you know, my prayer is that this next season is a season of refreshing, that it's mm. a season of outpouring, that um, it's a season of, of harvest and, um, and fruitfulness. And I hear people hypothesizing about how, you know, the church is not coming back, you know, 30, 40% of the church is not coming back. I don't believe any of that. I think it's all hogwash. And I don't, I think the earliest data shows that it's absolutely dead wrong, that Mm. people are coming back with a hunger for the Holy spirit and a hunger for significance that comes from being purposeful in Christ. And so my prayer is that we're not, um, that we don't slow down or sidetrack or get caught up into other things um, as we wait for, for that. Beautiful, beautiful. Very well said. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, last, last question. You've been in ministry a couple decades. Um, you know, this summer for me is 20 years, uh, in ministry. Um, and this seat, this last, you know, 12 months, whatever it's been, um, has not been the easiest. How have you been keeping yourself encouraged? Cause you feel fresh to me today. You feel purposeful. You feel kingdom centered to me talking to you. We haven't, we haven't talked for a little while, you know, before getting on zoom today. So, um, how are you keeping yourself encouraged and fresh in a season that's not been the easiest or the clearest to lead in? <laughs> no, it definitely has not been easy. That's for sure. Um, but I, I think keeping my eye on the big picture has helped and making sure that I'm tuned into the Holy spirit. I feel like that's been the theme for me of this last 12 months has been, how can I, um, tap into 
where God's on the move, they get involved there. And there's a stream of, of freshness and life wherever God's moving. And um, so I think the Holy Spirit gives us strength for the journey. And I, I feel really hopeful about the future for the church in America. Uh, I think God's purified us, but I really believe that we're poised to see um, some of the biggest movements in my generation. Like as you track through the history of revivals in the world, it's like we're due. The timing is right. Totally, totally. And it always follows seasons like this. Um, so I'm, I'm actually excited to see what God is about to do around the globe. Um, I just love being part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm glad we get to do this in our 40s rather than our dumb 20s. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. We may be on the the quote unquote older end now, but we get to we get to be a part of this thing. I love it. Hey, I love your voice. Um, and you know what? For anyone listening, especially any any women who are listening today who want to lead, you need to follow Anna. You need to read anything she puts out. We were joking earlier. We like sometimes like hardly post on social media, you know. But but I, I Anna, I respect you. I love you. You are a boss woman. You you lead well. You lead with wisdom. I, you are you to me. You just set the pace for so many out there, especially so many women who want to lead. So thank you for for all you're doing. Thank you for how you lead. We admire you so much. Thank you. Leading second is definitely a needed thing. I think for. Most most people who lead in the church lead second. So we appreciate what you and Lindsay are doing. Praying and believing with you that God's going to continue to work in your family and we're going to see His faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Thanks, my friend. Yeah. For more information, check out leadingsecond.com. Follow us on Instagram at Leading Second and join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook.